0: Last week we, well, we covered a lot last week. A little bit of the end of Deuteronomy, the first chapter of Joshua, then chapter 3 and 4. We skipped over chapter 2, so I thought we'd look at that for just a little bit this morning. So the place is back in context, if you recall. The Israelites were miraculously released from Egypt. They made it all the way across the Red Sea by amazing Feats, they make it all the way through the desert to the banks of the Jordan. They send out spies. The spies come back, two of which give a good report. The others do not. People have a small rebellion. They don't trust the Lord and end up having to wander 40 years in the desert to learn how to trust God. They come back about 40 years later. They camp on the other side of Jordan and they're getting ready to cross over. And we spent last Sunday talking about uncertainty and how Joshua was tasked to do things and told to go directions without having the full picture and we talked about what that's life in our like what that's like in our life sorry when we are asked to do things and we don't know the full picture sometimes we just have to go forward based on faith letting God reveal for us as we step into the water so to speak his plan But before all of that, Joshua was told, of course, that he would be leading the children of Israel across this couple million people. Not told how exactly he would do that, but he sent out two spies this time, only two. And instead of spying out the entire land, as they did 40 years ago, of course, Joshua was one of those spies. He sent out two this time just to go take a look at Jericho. Jericho was a very imposing city. Uh, our current history, we think it's one of the oldest cities still inhabited to this day. Uh, it had been built with walls and probably one of the first walled cities in the world. But by the time the Israelites got there, this was probably version two or three of those walls. They'd gotten bigger and thicker and stronger over the time. And it was an imposing feature to go back and look at these, this walled city that they would have to take in order to capture the land that God was going to give them. And so he sent these two spies over to bring back a report. And chapter 2 tells us the story of these two spies and the events that occurred there. So read with me if you'd like Joshua chapter 2. And Joshua, the son of Nun, sent out of Shittim two men to spy secretly, saying, Go view the land, even Jericho. And they went and came to a harlot's house named Rahab and lodged there. And it was told the king of Jericho, saying, Behold, there are come men hither tonight, the children of Israel, to search out the country. And the king of Jericho said unto Rahab, saying, Bring forth the men that have come to thee, which are entered into thine house. For they uh, came to search out all the country. And the woman took the two men and hid them and said thus, There came men to me, but I don't know where they are. And when it came to pass about the time of shutting the gate, when it was dark, that the men went out, whether the men went, I know not. Pursue after them quickly, and you shall overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof of the house and hid them with the stalks of flax, which she had laid there in order on the roof." And the men pursued after them on the way to Jordan unto the fords. And as soon as they were which pursued after them were gone out, they shut the gate. And before they were laid down, she came up to them upon the roof. And she said unto the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that your and that your terror is fallen upon us, that all the inhabitants of the land faint because of you. For we have heard now the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt. And what you did unto the two kings of the Amorites that were on the other side of the Jordan, Shihon and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. And as soon as we had heard these things, our hearts did melt. Neither did there remain any more courage in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and in earth below. Now, therefore, I pray you, swear unto me by the Lord, since I have shown you kindness that you will also show kindness unto my father's house and give me a true token, and that you will save alive my father and my mother and my brethren and my sisters and all that they have and deliver our lives from death. And the men answered, Our lives for yours, if you utter not this our business. And it shall be with the Lord shall give us the land that we will deal kindly and truly with thee. Then she let them down by a cord through the window, for her house was upon the town wall, and she dwelt upon the wall. And she said unto them, Get you to the mountains, lest the pursuers meet you, and hide yourself there three days until the pursuers be returned, and afterwards may you go your way. And the men said unto her, We will be blameless of this oath which thou hast made us to swear. Behold, when we come into the land, that shall bind this line of scarlet thread in the window." which thou didst let us down by, and thou shalt bring thy father and thy mother and thy brethren and all thy father's household home into thee. And it shall be that whosoever shall go out of the doors of thy house into the streets, his blood shall be upon his head, and we will be guiltless. And whoever shall be with thee in the house, his blood shall be on our head if any hand is laid upon him. And if thou utter this business, when we will be quiet of thy own oath, Thou hast made us to swear. And she said, According unto your words, be it so. And she sent them on their way, and they departed. And she bound the scarlet line in the window. And they went and came into the mountain, and abode there three days, until the pursuers were returned. And the pursuers sought them, though uh, throughout all the way, but found them not. So the two men returned and descended from the mountains, and passed over and came to Joshua son of Nun and told him all these things that befell them and they said unto Joshua truly the lord has delivered into our hands all the land for even the inhabitants of this country do faint because of us and so i sincerely doubt this is an entirely new story to many of us we've heard maybe parts or all of this throughout much of our lives and for some of us that's been a few times and we see here the very clear story that they're getting ready as I gave the intro to go into the land and Joshua sends the spies out. They come into the home um, of Rahab and she hides them. She tells some falsehoods to those who are coming to find them and gives them some bit of misdirection as they're hiding in the roof up above her house. And then they strike a deal. They're going to protect her and her home when they come to invade and a Short amount of time, if she keeps quiet and if she keeps her family inside and has the red or scarlet uh, line hanging outside of the window, now the rest of the story that i 'll just summarize real quickly here in a few chapters is of course, they cross over we covered that last week. They come, they march around the city for six days, one time or one time around each day on the seventh day, they all stand still and shout and blow the horns. And, of course, the walls come crumbling down, as the children's song goes. Her house apparently remains, and the two spies who had made this deal with her um, meet her in chapter, well, there you go. Chapter 6, I believe, in verse 22 But Joshua said to the two men that had spied at the country, Go into the harlot's house and bring her out. Hence the woman and all that she has with her, swear unto her. And the young men that were spies went in and brought out Rahab and her father and her mother and her brethren and all that she had. And they brought out all her kindred and left them within the camp of Israel. So that she is in fact saved because of this bargain that she made. I want to look at this for just a few minutes because I think this is very interesting. As I mentioned, Joshua sent out two spies, and not to completely counteract what I said last week, but you have to wonder, why did he send them? We can get very simplistic in our understanding of the scripture and understanding of how God works too many times, but what we see time and time again is not only that sometimes we have to deal with the uncertainties that God has given us, and sometimes we're to use our intellect that God has given us to know what to do. And we see this repeatedly. This may be an example. Did the Lord specifically tell Joshua to send the spies? I I don't know. It isn't recorded. But we know that, in fact, Joshua did send the spies, and they made it somehow into this walled city and came to the house of Rahab. Now, Rahab, just to make sure there's no misconfusion here, and King James calls her a harlot, and our current parlance, we would say, a prostitute, someone who sells herself for money. Now, this brings some interesting questions, doesn't it, into it. Why were they there? Why were they there? There's been lots of speculation over this, some of which is probably not, uh, well, it goes a little too far and isn't really warranted. It could be that they were looking for some place they would blend in and not be questioned, and that would certainly be a good place to go. People are used to keeping secrets and seeing strangers in dark corners and things like that. Um, So it could be that they were just looking for a good place to hide. Some have speculated they were there to partake, although I have some serious doubts about that. I would imagine that the two Joshua would pick to go spy the land would be faithful and obedient to the Lord. So I don't think they were there to partake in those activities. But regardless, they showed up at her house. And then there's also some speculation over whether she was still active in her trade, if you will. And this we're not entirely clear either. Uh, It could be that she had since departed from that. It could be that that was still something that was going on. We're not entirely sure. It is interesting to note that sometimes we know this personally and even in Scripture. Sometimes we're known by our deeds or by characteristics of ourselves in the past. So if you go back and look in the New Testament, uh, Simon the leper is mentioned a couple of times. And he's called Simon the leper after what? After he was healed. And so it could be that by this time she'd already given up the trade, but was still known as a prostitute. Of course, we see her mentioned in the New Testament, and she is called as much. So sometimes, brothers and sisters, our past deeds remain a label to us and should be used as a way to praise the Lord and remember what he's changed. But regardless of either way, we know that she had faith, and we'll talk about that in a minute. And so these spies are in her home and somehow the king finds out about this and sends men to investigate. Let us not forget the high drama that this would be. This is every making of a really good movie, right? These men somehow sneak into this walled city The king finds out they're pursuing them, very likely looking all over the city for them. They think they're in this home. They come to a a prostitute's house and say, I think the men are here. And this prostitute, this woman Rahab, has to instantly make a decision. What is she going to do? And her decision, the actions that she take is going to uh, be very, very important. This isn't just, oh, yeah, I saw them go some other direction. What she knows and what she confesses is that she knows they're here to do what? To utterly destroy and wipe out the entire city. And what does she know from all the years of listening to people who have come and traveled and told her all these things? She's heard about how they crossed the Red Sea 40 years ago. And God did what after they crossed? Wiped out the Egyptians with the flood. She's heard about how they've wandered through the desert for 40 years, no doubt. She's heard about the amazing things that God has done. And she has heard about the two kings who were vanquished and completely and utterly destroyed across the river. And so when she finds these two men in her home, she knows without a shadow of a doubt, they have come and the result will be what? Her entire culture will be destroyed. Everyone she knows will be killed. Her home will be gone. And very likely, she herself will lose her life. And yet she comes and is faced with a choice when these men come beating on the door wanting to know where are the spies. Well, She makes a good choice. She hides them. And then she misleads those who were there. Now, this story is told not necessarily in uh, a succinct order. So I'm going to jump around just a minute. And I'm going to draw something out. and We'll come back to some of what she does. But what I want to uh, tell you is that she makes some very important confessions, if you will. She makes some very important confessions. So take a look in Joshua, in chapter 2. I want to look at verse 9. And she says in verse 9 and verse 11, two very important things. She says to the men, these are the spies... I know that the Lord has given you the land. I know the Lord has given you the land. Again, she recognizes that who has given the land to these individuals is the Lord. It's not their own strength. She doesn't say to them, well, I know that you're uh, amazing, mighty, wonderful, uh, intelligent, brave, strong men, and you're going to wipe us off the face of the earth. She says, no, I know the Lord has given you the land. Now, this is very likely, at least up to near this point, someone who we would call a pagan who worshiped um a variety of things and that whole culture actually was never well that's a that's a whole other lesson so she was uh worshiping things that she shouldn't worship probably very likely close into this and was raised this way but she identifies something unique she says the lord is going to give you this land she knows it's going to happen and then look at verse 11 the second half This is her great confession. She says, For the Lord your God, He is God in the heavens above and in the earth below. This is absolutely staggering that this woman faced with these two individuals. Now listen, she could have given them up when the men came and would probably have been a hero of her time. A hero for that night and maybe the next six or seven days before they came. But she instead knew that the Lord was going to give the land over to them. And then she confessed to them For the Lord your God, He is God in heaven above and the earth below. This was no mere acceptance of who they were. This is no mere just terming and saying, yeah, I know your God's going to win. This is foundational and important to who she is by giving her confession that not only is this God, but it is a living God, a God of above and a God below, a God not like her former gods who were idols, not like her former gods who would um, worship this little thing over here because that's all they could control and they had to... Con- Worship this God because they control this little aspect of life. But this is, in fact, the God, the God who is in control of everything in heaven and on earth. And this is something not to be missed in this conversation. This is an earth-shattering change. She is demonstrating to these individuals that she believes in the same God that she believes in the God that the Hebrews worship, the God who is above all gods. She is, in fact, giving a confession to them of her faith in God. And she knew exactly where they came from. We see that in verse uh, 9. She knew what was going on here. Okay? So this is very important. Now, as I said, she lied to those who came we could spend a lot of time looking at this because it seems kind of confusing. She gives a partial confession, several full on lies and some misdirection. And she said, true. The men came to me when she got confronted. Right. And in fact they had, so she, she gives a partial confession. She didn't give a full confession. And we've talked about before, um, lying by omission that is not telling the full truth is also still a lie. So she should have said true, and they're right here. But she said, oh, yeah, they came. Well, then she gives a a full on lie, but I don't know where they came from. Clearly, she knows where they came from. She said as much and quoted in scripture. He's saying, I know who you are. I know why you're here. Right? So there's number two. And then she says, when the gate was about to be closed at dark, these men went out. (laughs) Yeah, they're upstairs under her roof, hiding. So there's lie number three, and I don't know where they went. Again, add on to that number four, and then the misdirection. Pursue them quickly, and you'll overtake them. Again, pretty smart on her part, right? If she just stood there and lied, they might have bust their way in and started searching the place. But she's like, no, no, I don't know where they went, but they went that way. Go get them. And they run after, fictitiously, these spies. And so here this young woman who doesn't have a great background, for some reason they believed her, And they began searching for them outside the walls and gave her time to have more of an in-depth conversation with these spies. Brothers and sisters, there may come a time in our lives when we are faced with similar tasks and similar challenges. I will stand here before you and I will say that we should not lie, and I think that's entirely true. But when the service of God demands it, Apparently it's okay. She is cited later as being faithful. She is cited by James as being uh, one who acted out her faith. And we must understand that when we are commanded to do something that is scripturally wrong, we must stand firm on what God tells us to do. And so we can go back and we can praise the women who decades before this refused to murder the Hebrew children when they were born, but would hide them and lie to Pharaoh about it. And we see this several times in Scripture. Of course that isn't quite the thrust of where I want to be today so we've talked about Rebecca's confession Rahab's confession and we have talked about how important that is and how vital that is we have mentioned that this is more than just saying it that in this culture this is her putting her entire life on the line to make this confession to individuals and then she goes and she backs it up with certain acts she hides the spies She gives lies and misdirections to the very king himself, so to speak. She gave advice to uh, these two spies on how to avoid direction. Go and hide over here in the hills for three days while they're looking for you. Then they'll come back frustrated and you can cross over safely. She let them down by a rope. And importantly, she kept this secret for at least nine days. If they hide for around three, imagine the Israelites come into the camp. You know what's going to happen. Kind of. But again, we go back to this uncertainty. She didn't know how this was going to happen. All she knew is that they're coming, they're going to win, that God is the real God, and that real God is with them. And I have this little rope hanging outside my window, and I'm hoping and praying, literally, that God will save my life and my family if we all stay inside. You ever wonder if her family believed her? You got to stay in here. Oh, it's been six or seven days, you've got to stay in here. Look, they just come every day and they march around once, nothing's going to happen. You have to stay inside the house. What about Moses and his sons and daughters? They had to stay inside the ark, didn't they? We must stay and remain inside Jesus Christ if we are going to be saved. We have to believe with faith that that's the truth. So she kept the, um, the secret for at least nine days is she was ordered by the spies to do so. And she remained in her home and she flew a banner, so to speak, hanging outside her window. Boy, talk about risky and suspicious. At any moment, someone could have put two and two together and say, hey, wait a second. How come you got this thing hanging outside your window? We thought there were spies here a few days ago. We couldn't find them. Hmm. God's providence and God's protection was over her because she did what was right in that way. Now, I've told you the rest of the story. Let me tell you something else that's interesting to kind of connect a few things here. Rahab is kind of famous, if you haven't noticed that in the scriptures. But let me go back even before that. Nashon, he was the chieftain, the tribe of Judah. He assisted Moses during the wandering in the wilderness and the exodus. He was the first to proceed in all the marches throughout the desert. He and his camp was first to go in the line whenever God told them to move. His sister married Aaron, Moses' brother, and they had a son. That son's name is, depending on how you want to pronounce it, Solomon. That son married a prostitute named Rahab. So what happens is after the Israelites do come and the city collapses and the two spies go in and collect her and her family, she stays and remains with the Israelites, even though she's not an Israelite. She stays with them because that's the only place that the true God is. And eventually the son of a very powerful man marries her. And they have a son. And their son's name is Boaz. Boaz. Now, Boaz, as you might recall, ends up marrying also a non-Israelite woman named Ruth. Ruth was an outsider to the Jewish tradition and the Jewish faith. And Ruth had a very interesting, similar confession, as did um, Rahab. Ruth says, for wherever you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge Your God, your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. And where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and even more also, if anything but death parts me from you. And so here we have two amazing women who made strong commitments and statements of faith and followed them up by amazing actions, showing their faith, showing their willingness to be committed to a God that before they did not know. Let's follow that lineage just a little bit further, shall we? Ruth and Boaz had a son named Obed. Obed had a son named Jesse. Jesse had a son named David. David had a few sons. And eventually, if you read the first chapter of Matthew, you see both Rahab, the prostitute, and Ruth, the non-Jew, in a direct lineage to who? Jesus Christ. The decisions that you make in your life, the way that God moves throughout what you are doing in your life, matter. Matter. These are insignificant women by the world's standards, but God used them to follow after him, to identify that he was in fact the true God, and then to join with other people who in fact also identified God as the one and only true God. And God used them and their obedience over the years to eventually come down to whom? Jesus Christ, who would come to earth as God, as man, who would live a life without sin, who would be sacrificed, Sacrificed for us and be the salvation of the entire world through the obedience of several people. Nothing you do is insignificant. And no matter who you are and no matter what your background. God can always redeem you. As I mentioned, Rahab is in what we call often the. Hall of Faith in Hebrews. That's in chapter 11. And she's listed with all these amazing people, Noah Abraham and Enoch. In Hebrew chapter 11, verse 30, tells us a little bit about this. It says, By faith the walls of Jericho fell after they were encompassed about seven days. And in verse 31, And by faith the harlot Rahab perished not with them that believed not. When she had received the spies with peace. See, the important aspect here that we should remember is her faith was that what? She believed the spies, that she believed in God. This was her faith that she believed in, which is why she is listed there. And also importantly, James 2, which would just be a few more pages to the right. James 2, verse 25 to 26 talks about her as well. It says, likewise also was not Rahab the harlot justified by works when she had received the messengers and had sent them out another way. For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. So let me try my poor way today, I hope it wasn't too confusing to try and draw this together into some type of conclusion. Here we have a woman who history would never, ever remember for any other reason. She was the lowest of the low, probably even in that society today. She was a prostitute. And God saw fit to reveal to her the very truth about who he was, that he is the Lord of above and below. He is God over everything. And she had faith in these facts, in the mighty works of God that she had only heard about. There was no Old Testament to read. There was no knowledge of what was going on. Because God spent 40 years building an entire culture out of a people on the other side of the river that she just heard about. And God used those facts in an amazing way to work in her life. And that led ultimately to her great confession. The Lord your God, he is God in heavens above and on earth below. And this confession was more than mere words. It would mean the complete removal of her from society and probably likely her murder had she not kept her secret by her own people. This was not just a, yeah, I believe God. It's real easy, brothers and sisters, in our society to do that today, isn't it? And you may think it's challenging. It's nothing compared to what it was like then. You may think that if you go to work or you go to school and you say, yeah, I believe in God, that people give you a hard time. Well, on this day and time, they'd kill you. So this is a confession that actually means something based on just a few facts that she knew about God from what others had said. Now, there's some encouragement there, isn't it, to us? We should be sharing some facts, too. Was she told Scripture before this? No. She was told about people's experience about God. She was told about someone who heard something about something that someone else had said. Brothers and sisters, our testimony, the memorials that we build to God with our mouth and with our writing are powerful and should always go out before us to tell other people about the works that he has done. And sometimes just passing along, I heard that I heard that I heard, God will work through that. So these facts can lead to a confession that she had. And that confession may lead to faith. By faith, the harlot Rahab perished not with them that believed not. You catch the difference? We can know all the things you want to know about God. We can know all kinds of facts about him. In fact, we can even confess with our mouths that he is God, that he is the God. But if we do not have faith, then we have absolutely nothing. So she knew the facts. It led her to a confession of who the Lord is and to ultimately faith. And that's the difference between what other people didn't have. And sometimes that's the difference between what we don't have today. We know all about it. We even confess with our mouth, but we don't actually have faith in who God says he is. It's the substance of our faith. What is that? Ultimately, we see, according to James, that this facts, this confession, and this faith led to actions. She was willing to demonstrate her faith by taking actions that were uh, of risk to her. She gave up everything. She lied to the evil authorities who were there to murder God's servants. She hid them. She helped them. She then kept the secret for nine, 10 days. She got her family inside somehow to try and protect them. And I doubt that they were all necessarily believing the same way. So she did all of this. And her actions tell us today that she, in fact, was what? A true believer. And she had been saved by having faith that someday God would heal her. The reality is it is entirely not different today than it was four, five, six thousand years ago. We must know of some facts about God, and even if it's just nature itself which tells us that He is there, that is enough for us to have a confession that He is God of above and below, and I am in fact nothing. But we must go a step further, and we must put our faith in Him, our true belief in Him, that He will save us. And when we are saved, when that faith is fully complete, then we will have actions to prove to ourselves and to others that God has changed the very nature of who we are. And when that occurs, we are then added to an amazing lineage. Not because I come from the line of Rahab, but because I am supernaturally added to the line of Jesus Christ of God. We are grafted in, as the scripture says. We are outsiders, just like her, just like Ruth, who had nothing to do, no deserving of the promise of God because he chose a specific group of people, but they were added in. And when we know facts and we confess and we put our faith in him, our actions prove to us that we are a part of the kingdom of God. And so our deeds are important. Our deeds do matter. Our words are vital. They are truth. They are life for those who are around us. And salvation is no different today. See, Rahab was saved physically. That part of the house or the town apparently didn't fall down. It says they saved the rest of her family, so it sounds like no one was injured. She was saved physically. But I also think she was saved spiritually. And she became a physical lineage part of Christ. That opportunity is still present today that we can be saved spiritually. We're going to lose physically. And ultimately, she did too eventually. She's not here today. But to be saved spiritually, to be added to the very kingdom of God, to become one of His children is just as much of an option as it was for her as it is for us today because you have heard me tell you the truth and what remains beyond the facts for you to confess and for you to believe. I can't do that for you. Those spies can't make her do that. They didn't have to sit there and convince her. I didn't tell her, well, just repeat this and you're good to go. She had to come to it her own way. She had to come to the Lord, and there was fruit that instantly bloomed out of this relationship. And so, my challenge for us today is I guess I like to close, I don't know, I started closing that well at the time, I apologize. But it is a challenge, it is a question. You've heard the facts. Can you make a confession? But most importantly, do you truly have faith in who Jesus is and what he did? And can you measure your faith by the works that you're doing for him? You don't have to have the works to get saved. Don't confuse me. It's not what happened. But that was the evidence of a changed heart and a changed life. Are you listed in the Lamb's Book of Life as one who belongs to the king of the heaven and the earth? Or are you his enemy? Because until you know the facts and until you've confessed and until you've put your faith in him, you're an enemy. And just like every single other person in the town of Jericho, you will be destroyed by the God above and the God below. Those are the facts that are presented in the scripture. The same facts that are presented to us today for us to consider and so I ask us we have a song that you would consider them as well to come to a realization of where your standing is with God. If you're realizing that maybe you've known these facts for years and that you've even confessed them a couple of times, but you've never truly put your faith in Him, that I encourage you to do that today. How? Pray to Him. Do whatever it is He tells you to do. Maybe you're realizing today, look, I know the facts. I know I've confessed and I know I've had faith, but you know what? I've had some fruit in the past, but it's a little weak right now. What should you do? Same thing, pray to him. Ask him what you should do. Ask him how you should work. Ask him what he'd have you do. Maybe as simple as letting somebody come hide in your house could be as simple as hanging something outside your window but whatever God tells you to do once you've confessed and once you have faith that is your service to him